So this is our lovely panel. They are awesome. I'm, I have so much like respect for the folks who are sitting up here. Super, super thankful for them being here and taking time out of their schedule. Um, so who's up on the panel? So we've got Benjamin Montgomery. Why don't you raise your hand, Ben? Um, he uh, is a part owner in uh, Yagi Road, which is a roaster out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Um, and they just have like really awesome mission behind what they're doing and uh, happy to have them on. Colin is a friend and uh, the roaster at and green buyer at Metric uh, here in Chicago. Um, and um, happy to have you here. Mikey, or I'm sorry, Marissa is on the very end, uh, all the way from Atlanta. And uh, she co-owns a company with uh, one of my good friends, uh, uh, Ethan, and they own a company called Tan Brown Coffee. And then Mikey is right here, um, and they own a company called New Math uh, here in Chicago. Um, and then last but very not least, Armando um, uh, is co-owner uh, with your partner, correct? In Factotum Coffee here in Chicago, and uh, we're happy to have them here. Um, now's the time for y'all to ask the questions. Um, the important thing about this time, and really what I hope comes out of this, is that there's people on this panel who are sort of at I don't want to say any stage, um, but they're at various stages of growth, various stages in volume. Um, so I'm hopeful that you'll be able to answer questions that you're, th you're thinking about um, as you are um, thinking about the next step for, for you and your business, challenge, challenges that you're facing. So um, we'll go from there. So are there any questions right off the bat? Yes, go ahead. Um, how are you all approaching your green buying contracts with the market being how it is right now. Getting into it. Sorry, right, right. I'm right out right. of there because I'm about to have to do them all and it's, it's, I've only ever done one because we're, we're scaling, right? Yes. So I contracted Brazil last year, thankfully. <laughs> Thank goodness I okay. did that. Uh, but Honduras is coming up. Yes. How do I? <laughs> do you need clarity? How do I get my hands on what I need so I have this. it? <laughs> Any clarifying questions? Colin, you want to go? Oh, I'll start. Sure. Um, it's a, I think it's a little bit of a gamble. Uh, <laughs> that sounds so terrifying. about like with my the specific company that I'm working for. I think for us, uh, the price is a huge discussion all the time um, with our specific mission. The, uh, the communication is a lot about uh, supporting farmers, and that's that's a lot of what we do. What we we are sourcing coffee usually directly from uh, either the people growing it or exporters. Um, we use exporters as like an intermediary uh, to handle the logistics. Um, but so with that, we've it's sort of been a, a mix of, I think, identifying uh, who you can trust in the supply chain is super important. Um, I've had, so like for instance, uh, we buy coffee from They, they called us in like September of last year. Like, hey, you know the prices look high right now, um, but it would really it would help us, and we'll be willing to you know take a low margin if you'll just sign a contract right now for the coffee that you need in a couple months. Um, and I think, yeah, work. It's really important at this time to to find people that that you think that you can trust, that, and then sort of go back to those relationships, so. I should probably clarify that I'm only at the stage where I'm using an importer. I'm right. not big enough to bring in my own. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And there's nothing, yeah, importers yeah. can, and so the importer in that situation mm -hmm. would be the person that you, you need to, you know, and it's finding individuals within the importing companies, you know, mm -hmm. find your sales reps that, you know, you, you can have, have yeah, and those people are the best, you know, I, I can, if, if you need any connections, anybody, I love, you know, sending people over, sending, sending names around, so uh, oh. free to reach out afterwards. Thanks, yeah. Can I but, just ask, how many, how, how long have you been open? Um, it's open in 2019, just in time so for like the... two years? About three years. Two years? Who, who's been open roughly like three years? One, two. Two? Let's go, let's, let's toss that to you. What yeah. do you think uh, in terms of like, how are you handling it? Armando? Uh, I think your question is like, you're trying to predict how much contract space. You're still probably on the same stage where how much copies for our contract based on what I have and projections on what you're willing, thinking you're going to grow, right? I know I need like four or 5,000 copies. So that's, I think, amazing knowing how much we need that base. And I always try to calculate um, extra, right, on um, growth. Mm -hmm. So you're at a really good stage because before I worked for a company, I know our base, what we need to buy. Now starting new, daily on second year, I can't fully predict how much I'm going to go through. So it's really a gamble when I made a lot of the contracts before preparing to start. I knew it was going to come, and I took a risk guaranteeing some of them. But for the rest, I made the decision I was just going to go spot, right? I knew what I wanted, and for my base for espressos and that, guaranteed a little bit more just because I knew that prices are only going to go up. So, so when you say you took a risk, you paid more than what you would normally want to? I contracted more than I... Oh, more coffee. Yeah. Understood, okay. So that's something that I knew that on the long term, at least that's I think you're in good position knowing already what how many you need to start to <coughs> shop around. Um, I like what Colin said is really important. Establishing a relationship. A lot of importers I was skimmed through into like there's traceability, right? right? And not every importer communicates where they get their coffee from. So to summarize, you say build relationships and leverage those relationships, uh, use what information you have, and you're saying use the data you have, take risks where it makes sense, but um, just stay focused on, on where you're headed as a business, protect yourself, and use the data you have. Cool. Other questions? What's the difference between a broker and an importer? Because I'm using a broker, I'm, I'm not even close to being close to an importer. Is there a difference? That's a great question. Who wants to tackle that? I would say with if you're working with a with a broker, uh, I would recommend. There's definitely. I don't think there is a wrong. Like, there's not necessarily anything wrong with anybody in the supply chain that's helping you get the product you need. Uh, it's just it might be good to evaluate. What value is the broker adding to that relationship? Um, and oftentimes, the broker is everything. If you have somebody that, you know, ha that you, you might be, it's you know, like if if you're a small roaster and you're able to connect with somebody who has a long-term relationship with an importer that can maybe, by means of their relationship, get you a good price. Or you know, there, there's a lot of good ways that deals can be uh, made. But I think it's it's important for you to find out. What is, 
what who's adding value in that supply chain and if you're working with somebody who's you know maybe profiting a little bit more than you might feel comfortable with or is not willing to be somewhat open about their involvement then it might be uh good for your business to to look elsewhere yeah. marissa i'm curious you know y'all are relatively new mm-hmm. um how have y'all handled that um do you go through brokers or do you go through importers specifically um i think we've been so i think my uh trajectory into this is a little bit different because i know friends who work like so mine's very relationship based sure. right sure um, and I've known like different friends who work for different importers. So contacting them and like talking to them about like what is going on or like working with like them directly, I think has been really helpful. Um, so going back to like what you were talking about with relationships, I think like that has been um, helpful because coffee is really all about trust. Maybe one more thought with that, just as an example. I know of some companies that are they call themselves importing companies and when you look at the supply chain that from what i understand for the most part we, there's like companies like olam or uh, there's one called ecom that are these big uh, global commodities trading companies that have specialty coffee arms uh, most smaller importers are still working with companies like olam or ecom to actually handle the import logistics and bringing the coffee in um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just good for you to know. Um, a lot of times, so we call it, should I call it an importer? Let's call it an importer like Red Fox. Red Fox is a great boutique coffee importer. They've got some great connections with small farms, really high quality coffee. I think they use Olam to bring in most of their coffees. Um, but you would, as a roaster, small roaster, you're not gonna, anybody have time to go spend two weeks in Kenya, <laughs> cupping in a lab? Yeah. If you don't, you might want to work with a, a small importing company like Red Fox that has those connections and you can trust. Um, so it's, there, there's a lot of different people in the supply chain. Yeah, exactly. Just find out who. I think our work is to find out who it makes sense to work with for your specific business. If you're buying one bag of coffee, nothing wrong with that, but you're not going to be able to go you know, at the same level as somebody who's buying a full shipping container full of coffee. So we got to work within our particular scope. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is knowing the value of the person who's in the relationship, what what are they adding to this, uh, this the supply circle at large? And then what you're saying is talk to people, get to understand like, what are you doing? Who are you? What are you about? And utilize those, uh, those relationships you have. And if you don't have them, I mean, this is a great place to Sort of build those relationships. Is that what y'all are saying? Anybody else? I'm trying to add to that. Um, that I think everybody would ideally want to source like directly from whatever small producer in this country, and like your best friends with them, and you just buy their coffee every year. <laughs> but like at my size, that's almost impossible. And kind of building off what Armando was saying earlier about, <clears throat> excuse me, about buying spot. If you can find like. Probably all of us have certain coffees you need throughout the year. Like for me, we wholesale espresso. So if I change an espresso blend on somebody, then I have to like go around, help people dial it in, do that. So I have like two coffees that I need to know I can get throughout the year. And one of them I can get direct trade. And when you set up that relationship, so now I can be like, this year I need 20 sacks, whatever. They set those aside with the contract and price at the beginning of the year, and I'm gonna go. And we can, some of them will even like let you finance throughout the year. 
And then beyond that, if you're growing, uh, having farms that maybe you just get six sacks from them and you can structure yourself in a way, or one, and you can structure yourself in a way that's exciting. So like we get this coffee when this harvest gets in and then we have it till it's gone. We're not out, like that's when it was fresh and now it's gone. Yeah. And if you can kind of set yourself up in a way that that even seems appealing, and now you can move through coffees and you're not, you're not running out of things, mm -hmm. you've got the things you need, you can let other things rotate in and out. And I also think that direct trade seems really daunting. And when I was first starting out, I was like, how could you possibly meet somebody in Costa Rica and like have a relationship with them? But a lot of roasters, I think, are pretty open to sharing that stuff. And that's how I got most of my connections is I just asked a bigger roaster, how are you guys doing this? And they're like, oh, here, we'll tell you all about it. Here's the email for the farmer. Yeah. And I'm at a point now where like I believe enough in the farmers that I'm buying from that I'm not trying to be secretive about that. Like, if you want this, I think it's great. I believe in what they're doing. I would love it if you bought their coffee, too, yep. and help them grow and bring more of this yeah. into the market. So as, much, as daunting as it is, and as much as you might feel like, oh, I have to just buy from this big importer because I'm not that size yet, I think you still can, you know, even if you're just getting a sack. Like we first, we got our first direct trade sack. That was all we bought was one sack of coffee. It lasted us six months. Yeah. When we were first starting out, we, I put it in the back of my car and we carried it up to our <laughs> and that was And that was direct trade. So I think if you just reach out, like people are willing to share. I know I am, and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. Talk to roasters. That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's all about relationships. Questions? As it relates to your, your current buying in the sea market, you know, I know one of the toughest things that I experience in my roasting business is there's a lot of good coffees out there, a lot of uh, interesting things that are coming on strong. You know, I'm going to use the example of uh, coffee out of Vietnam. It's a it's it's been coming on and getting better and better, but the challenge that I'm having right now is the freight to get it here, right? Anything coming across the Pacific is so, are you guys like, have you learned any tricks to get to, to go around that, or are we still not there? Or what would what, what you say? That'd be a question for Mike. Um, well, I think my answer will relate to the previous question as well. I think and that's why you know I'm such a small roastery and I focus on Asian coffees, uh -huh. Asian producers. But again, since I'm so small, to me. The idea of just doing direct trade is unrealistic, uh, uh, you know, right away. So that's why I really still rely on importers. They're the ones that have the capacity to purchase the majority of a farmer's harvest. They're the ones able to bring in few containers of those, and that's, you know, for the farmer that makes more financial sense to do that. Uh, yeah. So I think to me, I, I mean, nothing magical like up my phone, my laptop, just look at which, uh, identified which importers that work suit my needs really well. Right. Like for example, Royal Coffee has a great Asian buyer, Evan Gilman. So yeah, those are the importers that I reached out to. I, I don't mind that they're big or small, it's just more like, what are their focus? And the reality is in the US, most importers start out from Latin America or Africa. For them to reach to something like the what you call like the sure. kind of like the more interesting coffees like from Asia, and that's a risk for them. Sure. So and that's why I don't mind working with bigger importers. As long as like Olam at one point, yeah, we're bringing containers of um, Java from this uh, classic beans co-op. So yeah, I think it's just. Um, 
I have nothing against importers. I think it just depends on what your needs at this specific time. If you're getting larger and you want to pursue direct trade, then yeah, that's a different mission. So yeah, I appreciate that because it sounds like to your point, you know the different brokers and importers, mm -hmm. importers who yeah. have a stronger presence in a certain area of the world. Yeah, so you were one of those guys. And then a lot of the smaller importers, they're um, I appreciate that they're more needy. You know, I'm, for example, I'm getting a July, I'm getting coffee from Myanmar, and it's just a small importer group in the right. US. It's a thing headed Dove Coffee. It just started this year. Okay. So, so yeah, it's just finding what suits your needs and what region what region speaks to you. Okay. Thank you. So you're saying, if I understand correctly, express what you're looking for to the folks who are working in those areas mm -hmm. and say, This is what I I right. need these at these price points. Help me find them. Yeah. And I think that just um, you know, uh, I think different people uh, need different yeah. different types of channels to yeah. get the coffee. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I don't know. Yeah. Did? Cool. Other questions? It, looking at the companies that you either own or are a part of, there's a lot of uniqueness in the brands. Uh, what would be some of your advice to, to a roasting company that's just starting up and looking to really zero in on their brand and what they're about, what they're passionate about. Sorry, can I ask you to define what you mean by brand? Brand in the sense of um, what your vision is for the company, what, what it is the company values, um, how you can portray that through uh, imagery. Like uh, I look at uh, I look at New Map Coffee and what you said about focus on uh, you know, those coffees, I have a connection there now and I looks aesthetically pleasing. So there's like what you see, but then there's also like the vision of what it is. For somebody who's developing all of that, what would be your advice? Yeah, I think to me, um, you know, part of the rationale, rationale for me to start a coffee that focus, a roasting company that focuses solely on Asian producers, it was just to fill a niche. So I feel like at this day and age, so many roasteries around. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you know following your niche. Uh, yeah, like I mean the aesthetics that I do. I think it's just kind of just growing up listening to a lot of like punk rock and hardcore music too, or like even electro music. I mean, yeah, and I think there's room for that so <coughs> for smaller roasters to just be more niche. And like, and I that's why I appreciate companies like uh, Devotion in Brooklyn, where it's just Colombia. Other, yeah. Uh, and I, I tend to appreciate roasters like that. Uh, so I think the idea of putting a certain res uh, restraint on your on your brand branding frame is, can be actually an advantage. Uh, over time, I find that uh, without me trying too hard, it helps me stand out. So yeah, I would say just don't be afraid to be niche. Can you describe more what you mean by the advantage of restraint? Well, just. Um, just speaking from my own experience, um, like in the past two years, just being able to bring in Asian coffees that, other than Matal Sumatra, commodity Matal Sumatra, roasted dark, and just trying, challenging people's perception. Like uh, two months ago, Indonesia, for example, is a, it's a hotbed of experimental processing right now. 
So two months ago, I just got coffee from East Java, which is a lesser known region. There's a younger group of producers, and it's a natural hydroelectric. So, yeah, I just, I think, and that kind of became an advantage. And kind of like, I guess, in a way that people don't expect that. So, and obviously, I can't please everyone. Some people are just, yep, yeah, this is not Ethiopian natural. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, hundreds of roasters already do really great Ethiopian naturals, and you should support them. But I feel totally comfortable not doing that. I want to ask just to Marissa, because yeah. your background is in design as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and your branding is amazing. So what do you think? So when I think about design, and well, as, as Luke said, my background is design before coffee. I mean, I still do like those types of things together. And so coming into starting a roasting company, I thought of it as like a design problem mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And with that, it's like a design opportunity. And what I mean by that is sitting there and thinking about the whys. Like, and my whys, I'm like, why am I starting this? Why do, uh, like, why do I want, like, to name it this thing? Or like, what, how do I want to make this feel? So asking a ton of questions to know the intent. Um, I think something that I really um, admire about brands that resonate with people is they have spent a lot of time thinking about that kind of messaging and intention and stick to values and core kind of things that um, drive them forward. And I think that if you're able to do a lot of the legwork up front of sitting there and like thinking, <laughs> um, it helps you <coughs> later on to continue to develop that brand language and voice and make it something uh, when you're like presenting your brand to the audience, like your audience, whoever it may be, um, <coughs> where they can point out and be like, oh, that makes sense. That's X brand, right? Um, and I think that sometimes what gets lost in specialty coffee brands is some people will see like, oh, this brand is doing this, so I'm gonna do that. Um, this brand is gonna, doing this, so I'm gonna do that. And you know, it works for a little bit because it's like, okay, that's what we see as present, but what really resonates and what sticks out a lot of the times is people who think about like, what is my differentiator, um, but what is also authentic to me? So sitting, thinking, writing down a lot of questions, um, and then distilling from there as to how you want to make it feel for the people who you're reaching. And you're not going to reach everyone. Yeah. And that is OK. <laughs> yeah. Armando, I'm curious what you think about brand and about uh, um, how you thought about developing your brand, vision, vision, values, visuals, and how that yeah. can sort of unfolded for you. So the way we started it was just like, I have a small home roaster, and um, I had the privilege, I grew up in Puerto Rico, worked as a farmer, learned everything there. When I finally got the opportunity here in the States to start buying coffee, I was able to establish relationships, which I carried, and that's how the, the coffee business started on our end. So if it wasn't for two of them, one is a young guy from Marcos from Honduras. He has some farm, processes everything, right here, gave me a bag, and another from PMG. And they're like helping me out. From there, it's always, I wanted to like have that, right? Like all the copies that I buy, I know where they come from. And that's kind of like where we started. As far as brand, I feel like 
we are really bad at social media, marketing, all that is not there and it's something that we don't communicate often, but it's something that we want to move forward. I think that something that Mikey said that like having like initial putting restraints or what was the restraints was the word he used? Uh, yeah, like I think it's, it doesn't hurt to just restrain and yeah. especially limit yourself from like, oh, this this coffee shop is super minimalist, like fitness. Yeah. Thousands of shops like that. Restraint as advantage. And it's not necessarily like a, no longer an indicator of quality. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's kind of like helped us continue sourcing coffees. Yeah. Quality. At the beginning, I try to like source another coffee through an importer and so on, and the relationship we weren't able to establish it. There was not that clear path traceability um, to it, and like I said, if I would have had the restraint and like done my yeah. homework, research, that would you know obviously happen. Yeah. Um, but as far as like brand, that's like what we kind of wanted to do. The name and the stuff like that is just stuff that I like. Yeah. The name is just a normal thing called Kowski. The names are related to just me nothing personal stuff that we yeah. kind of like but as yeah. far as the copy and sourcing all that's just trying to like expand on what we already have about branding because i think it's i think it's important to to differentiate strictly brand visuals from like visions and values and it's all a part of the same thing right but you're saying like you're growing without having this like elaborate plan of like we're going to look this way and we're going to have the we're still you have the the mission under there is we're gonna source as, as direct as we can. We're gonna buy amazing coffees. We're gonna represent them well. That's yeah. enough. You don't have to have. Um, I do think those things are important, but you don't have to have everything to get the business yeah. going. What we had was I had a friend from high school. I asked him to do a logo. I had like a few sketches, and then I I focused so much at the beginning. We focused so much on the, the green coffee and the coffee we were getting from that anything else we didn't think about. So it's just been kind of like putting pieces together, it's like, oh, but we still have like the same logo and label from two years ago, we have a side, we didn't focus on marketing or anything. It was just basically the quality. I do recognize that at the beginning it's harder. People do focus on bags, brand image, but I think what's paid off eventually now is just like, when they finally do taste the coffee, we do start the conversation, they understand where I'm coming from and everything that we're doing behind doors. They're like, oh, okay, I mean, we do get compliments every now and then on the little design yeah. and stuff like that, but it was never my intention. It was just more like, oh, I, I, I drew this, I like the sketch. Mm -hmm. We're still building on it. Yeah. Any other thoughts from the panel? It's okay. Yes, in the back. Can you talk about what pulled your business around the corner from a startup embryonic uh, business that's that's that, that's making money, but is still too small. Pulled you around the corner into uh, a growing business that's you know creating an income for you. How do you so? What pulled your business from struggle to stable? Um, so from the basement to where we are now that we have our own uh, warehouse, our own equipment, is uh, before we took it out of the basement, we set benchmarks on what what bond do we need to reach before the next step. 
I always had uh, been like always like I appreciate spreadsheets that have like really good information. That's I had created one prior to where I worked, and I knew what my benchmark needed to be for me to move to the next step. So we have a small roaster, 500, uh, 500, 500 grand, barely less than a pound roasted. But I was roasting almost 60 hours. I got to 100 pounds a week there. I did not move from the basement until... But it was like, I'm not going to take an unnecessary risk. I didn't, our, our company to this day has not taken out an investment or it's just been, we put a couple of dollars on a credit card that was empty, and then, like, <laughs> and I did, uh, like I mentioned, two, two producers like gave us a, a bag of coffee each. was like, if you're willing to drive to Michigan, that's where I have the coffee. If you're willing to drive to Indiana, that's where I have, I'm like, drove? And I'm really grateful for that, I gave us a like, but then the next step, I have to put in some risk of like, okay, let's buy this coffee, so start from buying some bags. Clear benchmarks, right? After that, I started renting time because it was impossible, right? Like, I couldn't really keep roasting in 60, 40 hours, like a week. <laughs> um, and then try to actually get customers. A lot of us friends and family, but then I'm fortunate enough, like friends that have coffee shops start supporting us, and I started renting time. I was breaking even. I looked at, okay, what do I need to make to like actually keep growing? It was, again, another risk of like, if I don't do this, I'm not gonna grow. I did that for a couple months, but I knew, or again, this is how many pounds I need to move before the next step. In between that, we had we saved some money, we bought a roaster. When the opportunity came, we had a cushion of savings exactly for that time. All this, I thought it was gonna take over a year, it happened in six months. We started in September, by December, we, we rented out a small warehouse, and then in April, we got our own mission. In that transition, we found our used roaster, two, two and a half kilos, that's what we're using to today. We're again, almost again, roasting more hours than we don't need to. But I haven't taken on any financial risk. Um, and I think that's helped me, like, help us keep growing. A lot of us, I do, we do visit in person. We reached out, we try to establish a connection with the coffee shop owner or whoever it is. Even our retail, they're buying one bag. We used to do local delivery and meet a lot of people. A lot of people just like one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of farmers markets, um, we did everything. We don't, to this day, we don't say no to any big or small. Yeah. And I think sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But we treat little to high, like 10 pounds, five pounds. I have somebody that, it's just, I, five pounds add up. Like for office use, one pound, I treat them all the same. From the one to 12 pounds to five pounds, 100 pounds, they're all the same to me. Like, yeah. that's, that's at least how. So it sounds like you set clear benchmarks would you say those benchmarks actually accelerate your growth because you had, I have to get here so I can get there? Would you say that that accelerated your growth or was that just, was the growth just like, oh, I just have to, I don't know. No, it, it, it helped because at least there was a goal to reach, right? Um, at the beginning, they were like, oh, you shouldn't get into your own stuff if you, you're not roasting at least 2,000 pounds a month. And I'm like, all right, get there. <laughs> like, so that was like, okay, I started roasting 100 pounds of, on a cookie and then I started renting time. Another one, so I got 300 uh, to 300 pounds. Mm. But I noticed that that wasn't gonna be, it wasn't feasible, like I wasn't barely making any money. Yeah. So the minute I started like shopping, shopping around, I think four or five months, like since I started, we started looking to small roasters and something that we could actually buy. Yeah. Um, but that helped 
knowing what kind of, that helped me look for a specific roaster to help me grow to the next step. I think a lot of people sometimes, if they have the financial means, they'll start out with a 12 bigger roasters, and that's great. But also there's a lot of ways, a lot of financial risk. Because wow. if you don't, I think it was a lot of unnecessary pressure. Completely agree. Other questions? All of y'all use roasters. Is what what do y'all use and what do y'all like and what do you not like? Are roasters <laughs> for someone who's trying to figure out what to buy and doesn't really know what to buy because everything out there is the greatest thing in the world. Let's go down the let's just go down the whole thing. <laughs> Tom, why don't you go up? Uh, I use two different Probat roasters. Um, they're they're amazing, great roasters, very expensive. I don't full disclosure, I think I'm the only one that's not a business owner, so I could be the bratty employee that wants to have the nicest food <laughs> out there. But Probat's great. I, we have a nineteen sixty one UG fifteen, a vintage one, and then we have a newer twenty five kilo uh, like automated roaster as well. So those are great machines. Highly recommend. Go talk to them. <laughs> like you've roasted on all kinds of stuff. I have roasted on different machines. Uh, right now, I currently actually, I, I, I don't own my own machine. I rent time on somebody else's machine. It's a DJ Fire 12. And in my opinion, I like it enough that I think after roasting on, after roasted on ProBots, because I used to work with Colin, uh, roasted on, I started on a really poorly maintained Ambex. Um, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, it wasn't the design itself, but it just. I remember getting to like even light medium, four ten degrees, and I got three different colors. <laughs> so that was like my baseline. Like, first thing I got thrown into was that thing. So after that, like I'm happy to get everything else. Um, yeah, I, this is my opinion, and I think also uh, Scott Reyes. No machine is perfect. Uh, whatever marketing roaster manufacturers say, just take that with a grain of salt. I feel like every machine, even probots, even Lorings, have their own quirks. Diedrich certainly has his quirks, which doesn't make it a bad machine. It just, I, I think it's just, in the end, you just have to decide, what can you buy? Uh, and then also, what quirks can you work with? Can you accept those quirks? Uh, and yeah, I think to, add to Armando, uh, start cheap. Uh, I think I like the idea of uh, coffee roasters taking a model from contract beer brewing. Like Sam Adams still doesn't have their own brewery since everything's tall, toll brewing. Uh, and I, I think, and that's how I started. I just, I don't have my own warehouse. Um, I just rent time. And that's allowed me to like, not lose money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need a lot of profits, but it also means my overhead is pretty low. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think rather than starting big, uh, I, could, I don't know, I'm not gonna tell people how to spend money, but just spending like $100,000 on a loan <laughs> when you're starting out, that's, for most people, that's a really tough proposition. Yeah. What about you, Victor? I think what I would 
I would just build off of that. There's like very few roasters that you're not going to be able to get good copy out of, I think. Um, and I think a lot of it is just learning how to use it and also maintaining it. We got a used roaster and when we got it, it wasn't in <laughs> shape to have nice coffee coming out of it, but after replacing a couple things and doing a lot of cleaning, that, that'll make a huge difference. It's just maintaining it well, like learning how to use it, trial and error. So we use a San Franciscan 25 and we really like it. We had a T-Drake before that we really liked, but it also had some quirks and it was just figuring out how to work around those things, which like Mikey was saying, there's a lot, there's gonna be that kind of stuff with every roaster, but yeah. I guess I would just say, if you get a, there's probably some roasters you could buy that aren't gonna be able to get you where you wanna go, but I don't think you have to buy the most expensive roaster out there. I think you can get good coffee out of almost any machine. What if? I also started with an Ampex, that's the one farmer had. <laughs> Their airflow there is pretty terrible. You have to like, you use a shop back, vacuum out to help them clear out the room prop, you know. Uh, yeah, the shaft, because now the new models they actually, you know, they have the airflow like to clear out the copy. But before it was just like, I look back, it's like in December, I was hoping someone was in the machine, like, or like, now, like at least now I know. And then I was an employee at a company where I was like, oh, money was not an issue. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, robots are really nice, <laughs> like preference and all that. But I think when it came down to like, okay, now I have to buy my own machine. Even when I, when I bought the hooky, I looked at, okay, you can control if you choose to the drum speed. I bought modification on my, right? Airflow, all those things that involve roasting to really understand. And I think understanding roasting and Induction, convection, the heat elements, material, how they translate, stainless steel, cast iron, understanding all that and what they do is going to help you get the type of roaster you want. Um, that's how we found our roaster. It was cast iron based. I liked everything that I could control on it. And it kind of makes you help a better assertive position. Because most roasters will get you a good result if you know how to use it. If you understand what the roaster does, um, you'll be able to adjust to it, just like any espresso machine. Or that <coughs> Epic Cup Classic, everybody hates it. But we're, that's why I learned that I pulled really good shots and then I worked with really expensive uh, espresso machines. It depends, like, are you gonna spend all that money on that just because it has all the bells and whistles? Yeah. Do you need it? Kind of understand roasting, the material, the material. And also I would say availability on parts service, I think that's important. Because with ProWeb we had a lot of issues, but at least they were pretty close on the phone, it was pretty easy to get them to help out. Um, if you're not really hands-on with mechanics, then I would also think about that. Yeah. I felt comfortable buying used, and like any, just because I knew how to work with the machine and fix them. So that also, understanding where you're at, how to fix what the problem is. Yeah. Um, it's a great point. Like having somebody in the States that you can buy parts from is actually pretty helpful because right now. So doesn't mean that San Franciscans are the way to go, but they're an option. Ampex, the farmer, yeah. he would use the Rainer book. A lot of the parts, again, a lot of parts are just, they're not specific to roasters. There's different type of burners so you can adjust different type of fans, tubing. 
the cast itself, the, the skeleton of the machine, that's important. But think about little things like you can no electrician, an HVAC person, um, you can probably get away with doing some mods on the machines. Like for metrics, they they built up as a whole machine yeah. from ground up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Marissa, what about you? Any thoughts? Um, I think there so I think there's a lot of value in learning how to taste your coffee to know what you want. Um, I think that there's people, like you can get the most expensive machine in the world, they'll get bad coffee out of it if you don't know how to taste your coffee. Um, but if you do know how to taste and develop that sensory ability, you can take a really, like a less expensive machine and still develop um, like a curve or something or like a profile for your coffee that will taste good. So I think learning your product is a really smart thing to do. Um, I um, am also like a smaller kind of roaster. Um, I started working with a, like started my roasting business on a Quest. Um, just a small little electric thing, it's real cute. Um, and I'm also renting time on um, a friend's uh, roaster, which is a bellwether, right? Which is like, I think sometimes people will look at those things and be like, oh, those are electric. How do you get good coffee out of it? I'm like, anything is really possible with those things. You know what you're looking for. And if you know how to taste and you know how to develop those curves um, and taking that time and intention. Yeah. Um, and I think something else is like, I rent on that machine because, and I trade in in kind because I have a design background, right? So I do design work for that person. So then I'm able to use it for free. Yeah. Um, so that has helped me a lot um, to not have that overhead of having to own a machine. So, but also figuring out the kind of things that, and like strategically kind of thinking about developing my skills. So it would be transferable to using on other machines. I would circle and highlight and underline that because I think what you're saying is that's what people need to focus on. Learn to taste your coffee. Taste your coffee. Your roaster, like almost everyone on this panel said, doesn't really matter. You can get good coffee off of some pretty bad roasters. Bad is subjective, of course, but you know, learn to taste your coffee. It's going to be that's going to be what's actually going to make your coffee taste better. And uh, so taste. Uh, where do your parts come from and then do you have good access from them? What do you want to deal with in terms of quirks? And uh, what do you, what can you afford? What makes sense monetarily? Any other questions? How do you know when it's time to move, move up mm -hmm. in size, roaster size? Obviously the 60 hours a week, but is there, is there, and maybe this is more for like the owners, how do you know the size move up or when it's time even training other guys where you're not in there as much? That's maybe a two-part question. So, so wait, so how do you know when you're ready to like scale up? Scale up in roast. Yep. yep. And then also start maybe bringing in someone else to do some thing. of yep. what you, to keep everything else going. Got it. So how do you know when to, to get a bigger roaster or your grow your roastery as a whole, and then how do you know when to hire uh, maybe another person yeah. to take over? Uh, yeah, who wants to take that one? I think uh, when you can't continue to grow because roasting is taking too much of your time, 
So when we had our five kilo, um, it got to a point where I was spending pretty much, I was on my own spending 40 hours a week behind a roaster, which isn't as much as Armando. But um, it's hard, it's very hard to be behind your roaster all day and grow your business. So I think once you get to a point where you're growing and you've maxed out your hours and you have potential for future growth, then it's time. Yeah. And it's not that easy that just like you buy one, like they're expensive, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But I think that's how you know when, when it's time. It's just that yeah. if, if you're spending all your time and energy trying to stay at the same level that you're at or just catch up, then that's what I would say. It's I'm actually gonna toss this to Mikey and Colin together because Y'all have worked at two different companies that uh, have grown significantly, but specifically the last company y'all worked at, like, I don't even know how long y'all were roasting on, what was it, 15? Yeah, 15 kilo roaster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, was a, there was a little while where I would roast from, what was it, like 5.36 in the morning until 6, 7 at night without stopping, like eat on the roaster. <laughs> No, like no, the roaster's going the entire. It was wild. Uh, so yeah, that, yeah that, I don't know what to comment on that other than that was wrong. And That's time. Been, yeah, you know it's time. <laughs> it was way past the time. Yeah. I remember the day that uh, Colin decided to uh, take me out to dinner and say that like, I'm hired as a assistant roaster. I think didn't you do like 50 rows and you went to? Uh, I had to go like buy a new shirt. Buy a new shirt. Yeah. Basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that was after Colin left for metric. Then I, I was doing that same thing. I just eight hours straight and uh, low ceiling, no HVAC environment. So and it's like a fifties profile, so it's like open flame. Uh, Very hot. So yeah, it was kind of like that was pretty apparent. Like no matter how many employees you throw into it, it's just going to be grueling schedule for anyone in front of the machine. So and that at that point, Passionass was at the in the process of buying a, a twenty five kilo mill city. So they they were in the process of moving to a new place and scaling up. I think yeah, it wasn't. I mean, and obviously you can do a cost benefit analysis. Like would it cost more to hire another person and retain and train, or the cost more to pay for a bigger roaster? But I feel like it's just if you're roasting a lot, you can. You can feel it. Yeah. You're like, you know when it's time. Ben, what were you going to say? I had one more just quick thought. Uh, if you can't survive like two days without your roaster, then I'd also say it's time because buying used, uh, we've been in several situations where we've had to not have a part for two days and not been able to roast. And if you're roasting all day, every day, and then even if you want to cut some of your time and hire somebody else in there, could you, like if you needed a new part and it wasn't going to get there for two days, could you make it? I think that's another yeah. indicator. Yeah. I would add again that spreadsheet would help you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a two and a half kilo roaster, and I knew what the cap that I could. Again, I'm willing to. I always have in the back of my mind, I have to go back and do the 60 hours. I would. Is it going to help me to keep growing? No. I don't know. I've been shopping around, I think, now four months five months for a bigger roaster and it's either way out of my budget that I feel comfortable taking out right uh, uh, a loan or any kind of financing or I'm like this is gonna really cap me up like I don't feel comfortable right now but also getting that roaster am I gonna keep doing everything I know the name factotum is 
means employee list everything, but it's not really, if I wanna keep growing doing sales, it's just like, now that we're thinking about it, so I took on somebody else, right? The realtor can handle a lot of hours. I put it 12 to 14 hours in a row and creating different shifts. Try to maximize what you have currently until you grow to that position where like, okay, now the way I'm trying to grow it out instead of jumping to a 15 or 12 kilo, up to a 25. So I'm trying to train someone and get them up to that level where once we buy a bigger equipment, there's more free time for resourcing, um, expanding our money, education, customer support. I believe a lot in like relationships with our, our customers. Like I mentioned before, retail, wholesale, developing that. And that's something that I <coughs> want to convey as a part of the company, like all that. So when buying a roaster, I would connect this to like when looking at a roaster, how many hours can you put on that roaster? Yeah. I've worked at places where there's a AM shift, PM shift, we have to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something also like it's, it's doable. Do I think every machine out there can do that? I mean, they, they'll say they can, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think it's. Um, but it will help, right? If you want to, like, I'm right now in the process of finding someone starting one day. They want to learn, they're eager to help me pack. It's going to help me have more time to grow. I don't know what you want to do as a owner inside of the business, but I know that I need to uh, do sales and grow and expand other things. So I want to, right, have somebody do production as much as I love roasting. Um, it takes a lot of time. One point with when you do scale up, to my knowledge, the resale value on a lot of roasters, you know, if you need if you need to get rid of it, the, the your you know, the roaster that you're sizing up from, you need to get rid of it. But a lot of times you're not gonna make you don't make your full investment back on the roaster when you sell it. I would say just as a suggestion to the point about if you're if you if you have a roaster and it goes down and you're in a bad spot. I've seen a lot of success with people who just hold on to your equipment if you can, yeah. keep it on, use it. At, at Metric, having two roasters, if the large one goes down, it's not fun to have to do everything on the smaller one, but it's still possible as opposed to, all right, now we're out of luck or trucking green coffee to bide somebody's time on their roaster. That's a lot less of a headache, so yeah. just something to think about as you scale up. Yeah. So just, I don't have a roaster. Um, we'd like to get into it. what size. I, I know money plays a big part, but you got your what, 500 gram, one kilo, three kilo, five kilos, whatever. What what would be a good starting point? Mm. And then no idea. Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to Marissa because y'all. I think that was the newest one. Yeah. What are you looking to do? Like, where are you starting? Are you starting from no knowledge at all? Are you starting from just learning? Are you starting from like just wanting to grow a business? Like, I think thinking about like where you're coming from will help develop like what you're looking to do. Um, I think just starting out and getting like a smaller roaster and like seeing how much time like you spend on it is good. I mean, having like I have a one kg roaster that I started on and I think that that helped because I learned like a lot about um, how, or like not only like the capacity of it and whatnot, like how it works, yeah, 
but also seeing how quickly I could scale out of that. But I think um, also knowing like if you're going into it for like business or um, things like that, knowing like what size bags are you doing? Yeah. Because that'll determine a lot of like how many bags can I get out of like this batch size, you know? Um, or like what kind of coffees you're doing. But I think definitely like there's nothing wrong with having a smaller size roaster. Um, I do really like one kg roasters. They're really nice and easy and you can kind of have a little bit more flexibility with smaller batches. Anybody else? I would say, yeah, um, if you're starting from no knowledge, start small. Not even for selling the coffee, but just yeah. to kind of like burn through. You know, you can't experiment too much if you're roasting 20 pounds. So, but if you're roasting 500 grams, uh, and that's what I did. I was a home roaster for two years. I actually started a quest too. So, yeah, it was 100 grams at a time. And that's, I didn't feel bad, like, ruining a batch. And I did that, uh, hundreds of ruined batches. And then just to figure out, do you like it or not? Because I know people have, they think they would like to get through roasting and then, Suddenly they realize it's a factory job. And I'm like, oh, yeah. no, no. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's dirty, it's hot. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't start just like a rough figure, like larger than two or three kilo. Yeah. Because the three kilo then gives you a little more capacity, but not so large. Uh, you can't like, you know. And usually a lot of two, three kilo are still tabletop machines. They don't have to like you, you don't need like five people to <laughs> so, I'm yeah. curious. Um, we have like about five more minutes left. Um, I'm just curious. Why don't we go down the panel and just what is one thing that y'all had to learn the hard way um, about roasting? Um, and maybe it's not necessarily like about actually roasting the coffee, but maybe it's um, something that just like was like, man, I wish I wish someone told me this. Uh, what's one thing you you had to learn the hard way about your jobs? We'll start with you, Colin. Uh, hard thing is that I'm pretty allergic to green coffee dust. <laughs> green, yeah, green coffee is super dirty. So, yeah, you, if you're not familiar with that, you're going to be doing a lot of cleaning, or you're going to be in a very, very dusty place. So, that's a hard. But you might be. I feel like there's plenty of hard things uh, that I had to learn, um, but I think, and I feel this is important to me as a roaster, don't treat it just as business, really develop your craft. Hmm. And I don't mean that like, you know, whatever style of roasting you like, maybe you like more of a medium roast, really hone in on that, kind of develop that style, and you maximize the sweetness of that. Or if I do a light rose, like, you know, same thing. It's like, can I do it without, can I go, um, just honing in on, like, what a, a peak roasting for you is, I think, I mean, that's not like, it's like, uh, yeah, you have to learn roasting, but to me, I find that's actually, it is the one thing <laughs> to keep in mind when you're getting into it. Because that's only going to help you. The better you are at roasting, that will carry your brand visual. That will carry your branding. Yeah. Awesome. 
Yeah, sorry, that's not I'm going that's like yeah. It's no, but it's something that nobody tells you, right? You just you're oh you're a roaster now, right? I roast coffee, turn it brown. But there's more to it than that. Yeah, just like spending time and years like developing a style that you can call. What about you, Benjamin? I think for me, I think this is why I like this presentation today is that uh, you if you want to get into roasting, it's also a business because I got into it not because I wanted to start a business, but just because I like coffee and I like roasting coffee and. I'm driven by like wanting more people to try my coffee and wanting to work with more coffee shops and not money. And I have a hard time with spreadsheets and I have a hard time with budgets. And I'll talk to you all day about espresso and roasting profiles, but you have to have a plan and you have to manage your finances. And in the beginning, it was just the fun of like, oh, I'm roasting. Now people are drinking at a coffee shop, like amazing. But you have to look at the, you have to do the spreadsheets and go through all that. And there's a lot of stuff that maybe you don't want to do that you have to do in order to like actually have your business grow, which allows you to do the fun part of like roasting coffee and all that every day. So yeah. I think just having to do those things that aren't as fun as just the coffee. Mm -hmm. What about you, Orlando? I think that was the business guy. <laughs> Same. When I bought the hook, I had no plan on hope. I just wanted to keep roasting. And unfortunately, like I needed money at the moment, I was not any kid, so getting a job of roasting was like they were offering me less than a barista wage. So I was like, no, there's no way I can pursue this. So when I started the business, I guess it was just more like, I care about the coffee, the quality. I was like, oh man, I have amazing coffee. This is gonna be so easy. Like this is the best coffee ever. They're gonna taste it and yeah. Not everybody cares about that and that was like a hard thing. At the beginning, I was, I, I went to the, I let the, like, I was desperate at the beginning. It's like, okay, I'm growing, I need to, and I did try to flush a couple of times on price, go back to the spreadsheet, not worth it. And if the customer only cares about that, and that is not like what I'm about, then it's not, um, and it's a hard thing. It was just like, why? Like, you should, everybody, you know, everybody marks it. Oh yeah, direct trade, or I care about this, and not everybody is about that. And it happened with a coffee shop. I had a one-on-one -on -one and I got really upset. I'm like, this is coffee you're buying, this is what it costs. And I went full of numbers. And his face was like, oh. it was like, is this is why you, and I, I, I let him get the best of me. I, that was a learning curve though, yeah. because it was like, oh, they don't care. Um, and that was like a hard part of like, not everybody's gonna care about what you're doing or your business. And that, you, you need to have that clear line, okay. Like, that was just a one. Yeah. Those are hard lessons. What about you, Marissa? I think also along the same lines of like, yeah, I got into doing all this because I love roasting, I love coffee, like blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but I think, and also um, meeting now with a lot more like uh, shops and stuff that want to do wholesale and things like that, like I think what I've been learning a lot more that's really hard is, yeah, a lot of shops will say that they care about things, um, but don't and it's like how do you maintain I think it's learning how to maintain like my own integrity for the brand that I'm developing while also um, continuing to provide really good customer service um, and in the process of doing that educating but not being rude um, because we purchase specialty and we want to provide specialty um, and there's a lot of shops, I think, that I've been working with, um, like, they're smaller and things like that, and I understand
understand that cost is a hard thing. Yeah. But I also don't want to compromise for something if I'm a small business and I'm growing. Um, and I've learned that through like freelancing too. So I think definitely maintaining relationships in the boundary of like being respectful, but also not making yourself smaller. Yeah. So good. Well, thanks, y'all. Let's thank our panel. Well, hey there, Luke again. You just listened to the live Q&A that was hosted at Coffee Fest in Chicago uh, in 2022. You heard from roasters from all over the country with a bit of perspective on um, how to structure contracts and what kind of equipment should you use and various questions in between. And we hope it was helpful for you, but if it brought up some questions that weren't answered uh, here or in uh, our previous podcast talking at Coffee Fest, you can reach out to us at Pomelo coffee at gmail.com or you can reach us at the socials at pomelo coffee consulting we'd love to help you we'd love to chat with you we'd love to build in better systems stronger processes and help you build more profit into your business for the good of the people be well